Welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Sarah McDooling, the Kids and Young Adults Category Manager at Booktopia, and I am super excited and I have to say a little bit nervous to be talking today with award-winning, best-selling and much-beloved children's book author Kate DiCamillo about her new book, The Beatrice Prophecy. Kate, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, Sarah, thank you for talking to me and thank you for reading uh, the new book. And also, let's talk about why you would be nervous because you're the one that's in charge of this whole interview. Is that why you're nervous? <laughs> <laughs> I just get a little bit starstruck when I when I talk to authors of your caliber, Kate. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. I, I, I'm, I'm basically, do y'all have uh, chipmunks in um, Australia? Do you know what a chipmunk is? We, I know what they are because um, of Alvin and the, the chipmunks. Uh, <laughs> right, right. So I just always think of myself as a chipmunk um, and like the, the, you know, a small furry, unassuming kind of person. So there's nothing to be afraid of with me. I'm just, I'm just a chipmunk, easily startled, you know. <laughs> I, so I, I'm ready for all your difficult questions, Sarah. I, pro- I promise they won't be that difficult, but... Um... I am. I'm very. I'm very excited to meet you. I have to say, I've loved so many of the stories that you've put out into the world, as have so many others. And I've oh. had the absolute joy of getting to read the Beatrice Prophecy. Um, but many of the people listening may not have had that joy yet. So, just for the people listening, if you wouldn't mind just telling them a little bit about your new book. Yeah, and you know what, Sarah, uh, you could probably do a better job than me of talking about it, but I'll start and then you can like correct me or corral me, okay? So <laughs> it's it, because it's one of those things where you write a book and you never, I don't at least, really know everything that it's about until it goes out in the world. And as I do the interviews in advance of it going out and people ask, good questions or critics tell me what it's about, then I learn a little bit more and I can talk about it better as I go along, but it's a learning process for me. So it is the story of a girl named Beatrice and a goat named Answelica. And Beatrice is a girl who can read and write in a time and place where it is against the law for a female to do either of those things. And um, not only can, is it against the law for girls to read and write, but most people can't read and write. It's only a very, a handful of men in power who can read and write. And so um, this thing that Beatrice can do um, makes her a very dangerous character. And uh, when um, she has forgotten who she is, she remembers her name. And she remembers, and she, she, of course, she she can still read and write. Um, and so uh, the, it, things unfold from there. And we were talking before we uh, started officially about not giving spoilers. So now you can come in and tell more of the story, Sarah. So that, that it, is that a, a, um, a enough of a description of it, do you think? It's a quest, <laughs> kind of. It's a little bit of a quest, the book. And... Um, it's also, uh, it's somebody claiming their, their power and the, the power in this case is, um, being able to read and write and tell stories. 
I think that was beautifully done. It, <laughs> it, it is all of those things. And it's a, it's a really emotional, like deeply beautiful story, I feel. Um, you, it's a lovely thing to say. <laughs> you briefly mentioned Answelika, the goat, who I feel yeah. is such a marvellous creation from, in fact, the very first line of the book, which, if you don't mind, I will just read out now. Is that okay if I read oh, out? Oh, I would love it. I would love yes. to hear you read it. Yeah, that would be great. I just adore when a, when a book begins with a sentence and you're, you're immediately captivated and hooked. And that's what happened, I feel, with the first sentence of this book. So it begins with, <laughs> Anselica was a goat with teeth that were the mirror of her soul, large, sharp and uncompromising. And I love that sentence. And I think from that, and what proceeds from that sentence is a very funny chapter that tells the readers about Anselica, who is quite the character. Yeah, she really is quite the character. She is. She's one of those characters that um, is in danger of stealing the whole book, I feel like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and when a book begins like that with a sentence that just is immediately pulls you into the story, I always wonder, was that the first line of every draft of this book? Did you always begin there or did you get there? Um, sideways. Um, I did not always begin there and I always get there sideways and it's so it's a wonderful question. So um, I began um, with a scene um, that takes place in, in the inn um, uh, where the old soldier is who's very ill. That's where I started. And uh, and I I uh, left my own devices uh, uh, kept on starting there. I you know in multiple drafts because I write in a way where I just do uh, you know a, a really lousy draft and then a somewhat less lousy draft. You know I usually like it's four or five drafts before it is comprehensible. Um, and I think. Before it got to my editor, I could already hear her voice in my head about, nope, where we need, we need to lop that off and start here. And so I think I did it before it got to her, but I can't be certain about that. But it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful question and, and no one has asked me that question yet. And, and it's because it seems like when I say, oh, this is a character that's in danger of taking over the whole book, that I had her front and center to begin with and I didn't. She's one of those wonderful uh, characters that shows up unexpectedly. With a pretty formidable willpower. Um, yeah. Anselica is going to do what Anselica is going to do. Right. Uh, I also really liked, um, the book is full of great characters, um, but we should talk about Beatrice just a little bit. You've outlined that this book is a lot about her kind of, claiming her power and regaining her self and um yes yeah and it's also a book that's just it's a lot about love and friendship and um an imagination and the importance of stories yes um so what would you say uh where did that first spark of inspiration for Beatrice come from that's the first part of the question and as a subset of that question <laughs> uh, what do you hope young readers learn from Beatrice? Um, I, you know, it, it's always so hard for me to trace back where a story began. And um, this is 
uh, I, I've gone back through all my old, because this has had a, this story has been around for a while. I started it in um, the summer of 2009 after my mother died. And, um, and I got about 40 pages in and, um, and then I did a second draft of those 40 pages. And then I, I forgot about it. Um, and to say that I forgot about it is an understatement. There's a, uh, a scene in the book where, um, if you remember, uh, Beatrice dreams of, uh, that seahorse, um, falling through the air. And every once in a while, I would remember that scene and think, I wonder what book that's from. But like, I didn't remember the story. I didn't think about the story. And it wasn't until 2017 when I was cleaning out a closet in my office. It was just filled uh, with paper and um, the, the last pile of paper. This manuscript was in these 40 pages. And um, I... It had it had been long enough, eight years since I'd seen it, that I was able to judge it as not something that I had done, but I could see that it was something that was worth working on. Um, I don't know where it all started because I can go, I can find my notebooks from that time, and I don't know where the original part of the story started from. But now I'm putting it all together after the fact, and that my mother died in uh, January of that year and that I started on this story in June of that year and I can like trace all of those feelings back to um, I, I I'm a kid I was I am a kid I was a kid who I, I, I had a mother who read to me um, and a brother who read to me but I was desperate to learn to read myself that I just felt certain that whatever was in there was something that I needed in books and um, and I and didn't get to learn how to read until first grade that's when we were taught and I struggled with learning how to read um, it, we were taught with phonics at that point in time it made zero sense to me and I reached this level of hysteria in first grade, coming home and weeping to my mother that this thing that I had dreamed of and knew that I needed reading was right there. And I, yet it was receding from my grasp. I did not understand phonics. It made, you know, I just couldn't do it. And my mother told me to calm down. She said, for the love of Pete, calm down. Uh, you're smart. She said that. Uh, we'll figure a way to work around it. And what she did was she made me flashcards um, with, and I, and she knew I was good at memorizing things. So she just, we worked through hundreds of flashcards every day after school and I just memorized the words and that's how I learned to read. All of which is to say, I think that part of what was going on for me as I was writing this book, which is dedicated to my mother, is knowing that gift that she gave to me and how central it was to who I am, that, that ability to read. And, um, and I think that this book is me exploring that uh, without me being aware of it. Does that make sense? Wow, yes. And it's, that's a really beautiful story. Um, 
It's a very poignant story. I've got a, a little bit of a lump in my throat Yeah, now. you know, it's funny because I, I tear up when I tell it because I was always aware uh, of my mom. Um, she took care of me as a reader and that she was always getting me books that she knew that I would like. And she paid a lot of attention to me as a reader, but I didn't, it's not that I forgot the struggling to learn to read, but I didn't, it wasn't forefront. I wish that I had been able to, to thank her, you know, to have it right there in the front. It was like, because it was such a gift that she gave me, not only the words that I needed, but telling me that there was a way around it. We'll figure out a way to work around it. Um, and, and that I was smart enough to be able to do it. So oh. this is her book. Yeah. Yeah. That adds a whole, a whole new emotional layer to um, my memory of the story now, particularly in the parts about Beatrice's mother, Aslan. Yes. Um, yeah. And in the way she teaches her friend, Jack Dory, to read and what a gift that is for him and what a powerful effect that has on his life. Right. And it's one, that's one of my favorite parts of the book. And this is that thing where I, until I went back and started to excavate, okay, what was at work for me here? I didn't realize why it was, there's that you know, moment where um, Jack Dory's, uh, when, when she is teaching Jack Dory how to read, because Jack Dory doesn't know how to read and Beatrice is appalled. It's like, you're older than my brothers. You should know how to read. And um, there's this moment when uh, he watched the letters appear one by one beneath her hand and he felt as if each letter were a door pushed open inside of him, a door that led to a lighted room. And, and that feeling, that door that leads to a lighted room, that was what my mom gave to me with those words that she held up, you know? Oh, and that really speaks to the heart of this story. It's, it created a world where people don't really have the concept of a, a make-believe story. People write things down that are true or that, that, you know, they need, they call for monks when they have something that they want written down and um, writing seems to be a way of recording life. But you don't see it's like the concept of making pretend stories just isn't really prevalent in this world that you've created. Um, and it's really powerful seeing a little girl bring that idea to the world, like that, the, the pure, the very simplistic idea that we can understand the world better through stories runs right through the book. And I've kind well, of lost... And, and, you know, this is one of those things, Sarah, where... Um, that's not something that I have seen clearly until you just said it. Um, wow. And it's, 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 that's a brilliant insight. And now I will steal it from you <laughs> and, and be able to use it in the next uh, talk. But I, it's all making me think of something. Um, um, I've been reading this uh, Ursula K. Le Guin uh, book of essays, Words Are My Matter. And um, it's fabulous. And she, what you said, Sarah, just made me think of this. Uh, what a child needs, what we all need, is to find some other people who have imagined life along lines that make sense to us and allow some freedom and listen to them. Not hear passively, but listen. Listening is an act of community which takes space, time, and silence. Reading is a means of listening. 
And I that uh, and then words are what matter, the sharing of words, the activation of imagination through the reading of words. And that goes right to what you just said. Yeah. And, and um yeah, I've gotta I, I've gotta write I've gotta write it down. And also I've gotta um yeah be quiet now so you can have oh don't I, please don't that's quiet <laughs> that runs totally counter to our purposes here in the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um i have got so many questions but i think i'll veer to, to this one now which is that the book has these gorgeous illustrations in it um that really give it the, that feeling of a medieval illuminated manuscript did you always kind of have that in mind when you were writing and what was it like How, to what level did you work as the author with the illustrator um yes sophie blackle who is an absolute genius um does these illustrations and um i you know in my head what she has done is exactly what i would have hoped for but uh, as you know i don't I mean, uh, maybe a lot of people don't know this outside of the industry, but it's just like, I don't control a lot of that. I'm, you know, it's like, um, I asked for Sophie Blackwell um, and it happened, which seemed miraculous to me. And then Sophie and I uh, have known each other to say hello at conferences and stuff. And at one point we had each other's email address. Um, and so we're supposed to deal with, you know, we don't deal with each other directly as she's doing the art. It's, it's we, we talk to the uh, editor and the design people respectively. Um, but a couple times we would uh, talk outside of school as it were. Um, and, and because what she sent in, uh, it, it just, and this was, uh, her art was coming in as the pandemic was starting. So it became even more, you know, of a gift for me because it's black and white illustrations and it radiates light, you know, it's just, it's incredible artwork. And um, this is one of those cases where what I saw is what she made. And that's not always the case. You know, a lot of times it's a different vision. And, but this is, and she said to me at one point, I, I feel kind of like, uh, when I'm making this art, that it's something that I'm remembering. And that's the same way it was for me when I was writing the book. So we had a very similar experience. Um, and that it was just, you know, trying to recall something that we already knew, you know. Wow. It's so, it's fascinating to hear you say that because one of the things I said about this, I was talking to a friend after reading the book um, who I knew would enjoy the book, saying, I'm going to have to get this book to you. And one of the things I said about it was it feels like something that I read as a child that I'm rereading now as an adult, even though I know it's a brand new book. <laughs> so oh, what a beautiful compliment. It's, that's great because that's the way it felt to, to, to both of us. And in, um, well, that's the most beautiful compliment. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly special book. Um, another thing I wanted to ask was that kind of running through the book is the question of who deserves who should have power or who should lead um you have people who you have a whole people who aren't given power in that they're not permitted to learn to read you have a ruler who perhaps 
shouldn't be a ruler. You have someone who walked away from power and, um, you know, and then things happen at the end that we won't discuss because spoilers. But um, <laughs> the question just keeps, sort of seems to be asked again and again through the book, like, who should rule and what are the qualities that we are needed in a leader? And so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what, did, what do you feel is the most important quality to have in a leader? Uh, I'm just, again, gobstop thinking, wow, I guess that is in there. And that's <laughs> something that, I, again, is behind my own back. Um, and what springs to mind when you say it, is something that um, this isn't giving anything away, but there's a, a, a character named Kanak who is uh, who was once king and um, walked away from being king and um, literally walks away. And uh, he says at a certain point in the book, and you probably would be more familiar with where in the book it is than I am at this point, but that he wants to, he, he wants to laugh. He wants to um, grow his beard and he wants to see every person, um, every face that appears before him. He wants to see it well and truly. And um, to me, that would be a wonderful way for somebody in power to be the laughing yes. and, and, and seeing each face well and truly as it appears before you. And not having any distance from the people whose lives are affected by your decisions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, what would you feel would be the most challenging aspect that you faced of writing this book? What was the hardest part? Um, this is something that I can answer relatively well because of the notebooks. Because I, I keep a, a notebooks as I work and also uh, just kind of like a journal that I do in the morning. And, you know, when I found the book and I was able to see uh, those 40 pages and see that there was worth to them. Um, but, and it was like, I was terribly excited. But at the same time, I had no idea because I never know what's going to happen in a story. So I have this, I've, I've teed it up well on those 40 pages, but it, it's like I had no idea where it was going to go. So um, to me, it was, that was the challenge was here is something that I feel matters and I've started it and I'm going to have to finish it somehow. And I don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen because there are a lot of balls up in the air here and there's a lot of um, a, a lot of thematic stuff clearly that I'm not even aware of, but even just all the characters that, um, and so it, it was a, a terrifying, deeply moving, um, wonderful experience to, to write the rest of it, but I didn't, the challenge was knowing that I had no choice. I, I had to do it. It was, it already existed. I had to bring it the rest of the way, you know. And so we, we talked about the hard part. Now we get to talk about the fun part. What, what was the <laughs> most fun that you had while you, while you were creating this book? Um, well, that's, uh, that can be answered in one word, the goat, or that's two words, <laughs> goat, goat. Um, because 
And this is, um, again, back to the, the, a lot of the themes that we've touched on. There's a lot going on here that's um, heavy. And to have her consistently being herself and uh, that self provides comedic relief. Um, and uh, she was just a, a delight. Although I also love Brother Edith um, and how he sees beauty everywhere. Um, and life has been hard for him. And, but yet he can't help it. He keeps on seeing beauty. And that was um, endlessly moving to me to, to be in his presence, you know. He's a wonderful character. And yeah, I, think, I love him. Yeah, through through him, perhaps more than anyone, you get that, you really feel that sense of yearning of what a world without, like, stories would be like, because he's someone yes. who wondered and yearned and sort of moved instinctively towards wanting those stories in a world without them. That's not a question. That's just me saying something that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> and and I love that I just this whole thing with um world without stories is just it's a brilliant insight I just I can't get over it so thank you like I said I'll, I'll try to credit you as much as I can but um. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's all it's all there in this lovely book that you've written um you've moving like a slightly a little bit away from Beatrice and just talking generally you've had a lot of your stories adapted as movies most recently flora and ulysses what is that experience like for you as an author seeing these worlds and characters that you've created sort of reinterpreted on the screen it's really moving and also it's um it's sometimes people will say oh you know because there's always that thing of but it's different than the book and um, and aren't you disappointed? And it's like, no, um, because this is the thing about telling a story um, that it, from the moment that you uh, put the first, it's like Ann Patchett says, you put the first word of the your beautiful idea down on paper, you've compromised your vision, right? It's just like, so it's a series of letting this thing go. You, you do your best and uh, then it gets edited and you compromise and then it goes out into the world and I cannot hang over your shoulder there in Australia and watch you as you read it and say, what did you get here? And what are you laughing at it that, you know, so it's always this process of letting it go. And it becomes this thing that is clearly, um, I, I had a part in, in it coming into the world, but it's not mine. And so to watch other people play with the characters and the themes um, and come up with something different is just kind of an absolute delight and wonder to me. And with the Flora and Ulysses movie, uh, it was so much fun because watching it, um, one, I felt like an eight-year-old, and two, because Brad Copeland, who did the screenplay, um, he kind of like tapped in. It, it, it was, I was occasionally able to see myself and my preoccupations in storytelling through what he did in that movie. And so it was enlightening, but it was also just, there was just an eight year old in me that was just delighted by the squirrel, <laughs> you know? That's beautiful. Just, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the joy of, I certainly felt that with Beatrice. I think it's why I'm, I'm drawn so much to children's books and why I enjoy my job so much 
is that part of when you write for children brings everyone back to childhood when you know you there was sort of no cap on your hopes and dreams and you could see such possibility in the world um right and 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 people forget that you know I just I remember when I worked in a used bookstore and sometimes an adult would come in and describe some book they remembered from they when they were a kid and it's like oh yeah I know that and then you know you go through the process of trying to find it for them you put that in their hands and you've probably seen this as a bookseller and it's almost like it knocks them off their feet those books that we read as a kid are so powerful and they shape how we see the world right and I, I, I re, it also makes me think of this one time at some event, some little boy raised his hand. He was like maybe nine or 10. And he said, you put all these big philosophical questions in these books for kids. Why do you do that? And I said, because kids are the ones that are willing to ask those questions. Yeah. Um, when you get to be an adult, you, you, you become afraid of doing that. And kids are, 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 are brave enough to ask those questions. And, and that's another thing that I love about books for kids. Oh, I enjoy talking to you so much. Well, um, ditto, ditto. And I'm stealing <laughs> your ideas. So, you know. <laughs> uh, now, at the time of recording this podcast, we're right sort of on the eve of publication day for the Beatrice Prophecy. So this is kind of a cheeky question for me to ask, but um, <laughs> are you like after Beatrice, what's up next for you? Is there anything that you're working on or anything you're allowed to talk about? Um, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about it anyway, because, you know, <laughs> um, a, a pandemic um, and, you know, you hear so many different stories about some people couldn't work um, and I was really grateful that I could write. And so I, I, I've got this, um, I've, I've done some fairy tale uh, novellas kind of uh, is what I've been working on. And it's been uh, very uh, soothing for my soul. So. Oh, wow. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually they'll be out in the world, I hope. <sighs> well, I look forward to that. And in the meantime, the world is about to get the Beatrice prophecy which is very exciting. I like to think of all of the young children who are going to have this book become part of their formative um, oh. years and have it go straight into the foundation of their id, which uh-huh. <laughs> um, I feel like happens, right, with all of the books that you read when you're young, as you just so eloquently described. Um, Kate, thank you so, so much for joining us today. It has been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Thank you for all your insights and for your heart and for your good questions. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for everyone listening, you can grab your copy of The Beatrice Prophecy by Kate DiCamillo, as well as all of her amazing backlist titles at your local bookstore or online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, 
for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.